uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going get, to uh, get started here. So, Father, we do thank you. We give you praise. Lord, we just declare your holiness in this house. Bless your name, Lord. Jesus, you are in charge here. This is your church. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We ask that you come and move in power, that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what it is that you're saying to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, just to give you a little idea of what's been going on uh, with Mark and I, it turns out we have no idea what we're doing. And, and we're, uh, we're okay with that. We're, we're getting okay with that. But uh, every time we, we find ourselves trying to make a plan, the Lord seems to continue to uh, have his way, which is great. You don't want to be a part of our church. We want to be a part of his. Um, and so we, we were talking. We had a, a whole plan and, um, of what we were going to do and, and all of that. And then uh, on Thursday morning, uh, the Lord woke me up and said something uh, that was a little bit different and started us uh, on a journey. Meanwhile, he'd been speaking to Mark about the same thing, and, and Mark will, will fill you in on that. But we really say and believe that we want him to have his way, and so we're trying to uh, literally practice what we preach. You know, we want to be a, a prophetic church. We're, we're a charismatic church, and we're a, uh, a prophetic church. And part of that means that, that there's an understanding of the difference uh, kinds of, of prophecies and, and prophetic declarations that come. There's, uh, there's words of knowledge, uh, like we just saw with the healing and, and the salvation. There's, there's foretelling where we, we prophesy things that are, that are coming into fruition. We're, we're setting our, our declarations out. There's foretelling of what's happening, what's getting ready to come. And then there's this other kind of, of prophetic unction and, and, and wisdom that comes in that we see uh, relevant and happening in the lives of the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar were able to sense and determine and discern the times and the seasons. They were able to see what was going on. They actually, they went out before, along with the worshipers and the financiers, when, when Israel would move into a new land, a new territory, as they were taking that land of promise, they would send out the sons of Issachar first so that they could discern what was going on in the land. They could do things like they knew when there was a leadership change. Uh, they knew when there was a season change. They knew when there was a shift getting ready to happen. Yeah. This is, these are some of the things that, that the sons of Issachar uh, walk in. And so there is an Issachar thing that I believe the Lord is doing right now where he's wanting to reveal to us where we're at right this moment in the prophetic timeline of history and of the kingdom. And so if you'll, if you'll bear with me, a minute. I'm going to kind of put on that hat and, and just sort of stay where we're at right now and where we're going. Because you, you have to know where you're going in order to how to prepare. And so I believe the Lord has been revealing some things this week and, and uh, we're going to be ready to, to move into the places that he's, he's revealing to us. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. All right. So here's the deal. We're in a season, we're in a time of inheritance of promise. So just so you know, this, this is where we're at on that prophetic timeline. We're in a season of inheriting and possessing promises. Now, anytime that I reference the church, 
we have an understanding that the church is not this building. The church is not this organization. The church is all of us, plus a new one, right back here, right? We're the church. And so if I'm talking about the church, don't tune out. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about us. This is where the Lord is moving this company of people right now. And he's moving us into the land to inherit promise. And so I want to talk today a little bit about the three keys to inheriting and walking in promise that we see in the book of Joshua. Joshua was, was tasked to lead the people into the land of promise. And if we're moving into a land of promise, we have to understand how we're to steward that, how we're to carry it, how we're to move in it, otherwise we'll miss it. And so we're in this season and time of promise, which means, just so let me unpack that, that means that promises written over our lives, over your lives, by the Father, those are getting ready to take and come to fruition. Promises that have been spoken to you, that have been uh, prophesied over you, those things that have lived there for a long time, promises and, and, and hopes and and, and heartaches for something that hasn't come to fruition yet. Dreams that you've had that have seemed dormant or dead or broken. All of those things are getting ready to start to come to fruition. This is the time that the Lord is doing that. And we're seeing it over and over and over again. So that's good news. That's good news. But the thing about promise in the promised land is there's giants in the promised land. And you have to understand how to navigate the promised land and the giants that are in there. So when Joshua was moving into the promised land, we know the story that there is giants ahead of them in the land. And in fact, those giants scared the first generation away from the promise. The enemy always will position giants in the middle of your promise. Yeah. Those are called scarecrows. Okay? So a scarecrow is actually a signifier of where the best food is. And if a crow knew what he was doing, they would only go to scarecrows. So we have to learn how to see the giants in the land as beacons to our promise. Instead of, instead of things that can keep us from that, right? So, so we have to recognize first where we're at and where we're going and how it works. And, and the scriptures are, are, are full of these steps of how to inherit and walk in promise. So in Joshua uh, 1, we'll, we'll read the first, first step. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all of the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So the first step is that we're to remember, recount, meditate, recite the law and the promises of God day 
and night. This is the first step. What does he do? He brings him back to a time of remembrance, back to a time where, where Moses and God established the law, and he wrote it on the tablets, and he's wanting to write it on our hearts. There's a rediscovering of God's ways that has to happen before we can inherit and move into promise. It always happens. The Lord is always bringing us back to his ways. Teach me your ways, is what the psalmist writes. How you work and how you move. So that I can learn your ways. So there is a rediscovery, a repositioning of the law and the promises. See, the law, the Ten Commandments, is what's being referenced here. Those are eternal laws. Those are principles. Those are kingdom principles. And while we're not bound under the punishment of breaking those laws on the new covenant, those laws as principles remain even to this day. And so there is a, there's a thing that happens when people move into the promises that the first thing the Lord does is that it awakens the law of God on their hearts, the promises of God on their hearts. The word here that's used for meditating, just so you know, is not an Eastern uh, that you might think of as an Eastern idea of meditation where there's an emptying of your mind and, and all of that sort of stuff. This is an idea of meditation, meditating on the word, of chewing on it. The actual word is sort of like uh, chewing like a cow. It's the same, same root word as the meditation here. And so there's this chewing and this, and this regurgitating and this meditating and this proclaiming of the Lord's law, of his ways. And he writes his ways in the scriptures. And so to be a people of promise, to be able to steward promise and inherit promise, we have to move into the land with the laws and the ways of the Lord on top of mind. This is how he works and how he moves. And so the next thing that happens is, we see this in Joshua 3, verse 5. It says this, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So the first step is that we rediscover and we meditate and we chew on and we're consumed with his ways, his promises, and his laws. And the second thing that happens, and it just happens when you do that, is that we move into a period of sanctification. Some versions of this say consecration. And so through the meditation, we move into consecration. And consecration is being set apart. It's, it's, it's entering into a holy covenant with the Lord. It's, it's sanctification, which is what the New Testament talks about. It's the process of, of renewing our minds so that we can think like him, so that we can see the world like him. This is repentance, to have a metanoia, to have a shift in our thinking. And so that is the process of sanctification. It's letting go of sins. It's letting go of sin habits. It's living a life of repentance. It's continually coming to the king and laying down the things that he's asking us to lay down. If we want to be a people that can inherit promise, we have to be a people that are given ourselves to the process of sanctification. And we've lost the art and the doctrine of sanctification. As a, as a, as a modern Western church, we've forgotten about Sanctification. We're all about salvation. But we forget that there is a continual 
daily process of waking up and choosing to follow the Lord, of choosing to follow his ways. He won't lead you to sin. He will lead you to righteousness. And so the path to promise is us following him towards righteousness. When we follow anything else, we're just not following him. And so he's leading in the way, right? The angel of the Lord comes to Joshua, and he says, whose side are you on? He said, no, that's not how things work. Because he's leading the way, and he's leading us into promise, but we have to follow him. Follow him out of our sin. Follow him to freedom. Follow him to life change. So that's the second key. The third key comes from Joshua 5, starting at verse 2. It says, at the time... The Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. Get this. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all of the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all of the people who came out had been circumcised. But all of the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Everyone say thank you for the new covenant. <laughs> We're not sharpening our flint knives in the back. <laughs> Ezekiel talks about this moment. He says, he says one day is coming. Not a circumcision of the flesh, but of the heart, so that your hearts of stone will be replaced with hearts of flesh. And when the Messiah came and he rose from the dead, he paved a way for us to receive those hearts of flesh. See, the circumcision was a, was a covenant. It was, it was an initial promise made to Abraham. And so it was a sign that we're walking in covenant, we're walking in relationship, we're moving towards the promises that were destined for us. And on this side of the cross... That means it's a circumcision of the heart, as Paul re reminds us. Yeah. You see, an interesting thing about this trajectory from Egypt to promise. From Egypt to promise, there was 40 years. You know, if you remember the story, Joseph, Joseph rose to power in Egypt. He saved Egypt and his family. And because of that, he was lifted up. And the ways of God were lifted up. And so the, the Egyptians actually would, would begin to uh, partake in the same ways uh, as the people of Israel because they could see that favor and blessing rested on these people. And so the number of Israelites grew and it grew and it grew and, and the cultures were mixing and the Egyptians were, were actually having more of the culture of Israel mixed in with them than the other way around until someone got threatened. And so they, they decided to, to enslave the people of Israel, chattel, punishment, slavery. 
But they would let them keep their rituals because there was no power in their rituals without the relationship. And so while the children of Israel came out and they were, they were in that ritualistic religion, it didn't mean anything without a covenantal heart relationship. So he's wanting a people whose heart is tethered to his heart. The enemy will always let you hold on to your religion. He is not afraid of religion. He loves it. And so that's just doing the things. And while the children of Israel were moving in the wilderness, they were just doing the things, going through the motions. And on this side of the promise, Joshua realizes, the Lord calls him to it, we have to get back to the ways of God. And so they have a circumcision. And so in order to move and to walk into our promise, we have to meditate, we have to consecrate, and we have to have a covenantal circumcision of our hearts. And this is actually the biblical pattern, if I had time, of everyone moving into their promise. This, is, this happened with Moses. This happened with Abraham. This happened with Nehemiah. This happened with Jesus. This happened with Paul. This happened with Peter. This is the pattern of what you have to do in order to step into the destiny that the Lord has for you. And we're at the doors of destiny right now. We're at the place. This is how I know. So on Thursday morning, I woke up. There's this in-between time when you're sort of waking up. Pay attention to the in-between time. Okay, that's a thin place. Right? So in the in-between time, the Lord spoke one word, Joshua. And it set me on sort of a tailspin. Because I had preached about Joshua in 2019. In 2019, I had, I had preached about Joshua. We had this whole thing happen in our church, and, and this promise was outlaid. Someone came in, and destiny was revealed, and it was amazing. And, and I knew that we were on the doorstep to promise in 2019, the spring. And so I knew something was going on there. I knew the Lord was doing something. And so even, even this morning, as I, as I was sitting there and I was, I was holding what I couldn't understand, uh, I went back into, into the archives to sort of look and to see the progression of what happened after that. So we, we began to think and to, and, to, and to talk about promise. And these three keys of promise actually began to define a lot of what we did. And I knew that we were on the doorstep of, of promise, and I wasn't sure what that looked like, and I wasn't sure what that meant. I mean, even as I listened back to that old sermon, I could, I could sense that I was sort of pregnant with something. I had no idea of what I was carrying. And, and so then we moved into 2020. And in 2020, we had this interesting thing. I don't know if you know this. We had this pandemic that happened. <laughs> and you know what it did? it put a, a pretty big death punch to religion. Yeah. It highlighted religion. Yeah. It put a stop to those functioning only in religion. Yeah. Things changed. The atmosphere shifted. Yeah. 
And here's what the Lord showed me this morning. I missed a key component in 2019. I missed a key component of what happened when they moved into promise. There had to be a death. The generation coming from Egypt had to eventually die because they couldn't shake the ways of Egypt. They kept wanting to go back to the ways of Egypt. They, they, were, they were attached. They were chained. They, they couldn't shake it. Over and over again, they said, we'd rather go back to Egypt than, than to go, go where we're going right now. And they eventually had to die. Well, see, I... I was never really wanting to die. I didn't even know what he was saying. And then we come to this year. And we die. And we die from the old ways. We let go of religion. We let go of Egypt. We shake off the slavery that we've been enslaved with. And we're just now able to move into our destiny. And here's really how I know. This morning on the walk, is why I was late to this insanely early intercession that happens at 7 o'clock. I can't get used to that. 7 o'clock intercession. It's a special crown that you guys are going to get for that. So I was late. I've been late every time. But I was late to that because I was sitting there this morning and I, man, I just couldn't shake. There was something else that he wanted to, wow. wanted to, there's something else going on here. Yeah. So I went for a walk as I typically do to try and figure out what's going on with the Lord. And he said this, he said, there's a significance in the time period right now, in the days. Wow. Yeah. And so I looked it up and sure enough, we're in an interesting time period when we look at a Hebrew calendar. God is still on that calendar, by the way. It's his calendar. And then I was looking at it, and I was reading it, and a Hebrew scholar I ain't, and so I, was, I wasn't sure that I, I didn't want it to be a convenient thing. I wanted it to actually be an accurate thing. And so I called uh, Sean Steckbeck, who's a friend of the house, early this morning, who is a Hebrew scholar, and wanted to make sure that, uh, that I was right. And it turns out... Uh, it, it's true. So we're now in, in, the, in the period of Parasha Pinhas. You probably knew that. Uh, it's the uh, 41st weekly Torah portion. And what they would do since Nehemiah, they have established this regular reading. Now, there's some intricacies to that. And, and, and at least for a 1,000 years, we've been on the same weekly schedule. And this week, on Friday, this was the reading. Numbers 27, 12. Now the Lord said to Moses, go up into this Mount Abraham and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people. And as Aaron, your brother, was gathered, for in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. There are the waters of Mirabah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen. Then Moses, verse 15, then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all the flesh, set a man over the congregation 
who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Verse 18, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of Urim. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him, and he inaugurated him, just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. This is the time of Joshua. These are the days of promise. It's no accident that this was the reading of the Torah that's been established for thousands of years. We're in the days of Joshua. We're moving in to promise. Wow, that is absolutely powerful. Just what Grant just released to us and what we just had our eyes open to is a big deal. These are keys that we get to walk in, that we get to grab hold of, that we get to apply. And you can always recognize when God is moving, when he's preparing hearts to be able to receive for the next season of their life. And you can tell, even in the natural, you can tell, like, when we were backstage earlier, when we were back in the prayer room getting ready to... uh, pray for the service to start, and I heard that uh, there was trouble going on with the live stream, I started getting excited because I thought, wow, I wonder what God's about to do. You can always tell when there are keys that are being released for your life that you are capable of grabbing hold of because this place turns into a golden corral. There's honestly a buffet on the other side of that screen right there, that black screen. And, and that's just where I picture it. It's like, man, where's all the movement? There's movement that starts to happen. Why? Why? Because there are keys that are being released that we are supposed to grab hold of. The enemy is very much aware of that. This is the time in season where, just like Grant talked about, we need to be so in tune with what the Lord is doing in the here and now. It's not an accident that any one of us are here. It's not an accident, everything that Grant just shared. Because if we are attentive... And so regardless of what the giants are that he referenced, we have to recognize there are distractions around us. And very often it's going to come with people just getting up, going, 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 going. It's not their fault. But there is something that you and I are supposed to grab hold of. And when we begin to recognize that in a spiritual sense, there are distractions all around, it's because something is trying to block us from our destiny. That is absolutely the truth. And that's what Grant is referencing here. What is it 
that you are supposed to grab hold of today that is going to change the trajectory of your life, your family's life, and the destiny of the future generations of your family line. Because we just saw today, as Grant was led, we just saw another person added to the kingdom of God. Happened right here. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. <laughs> the word says that all heaven rejoices over one repentant sinner. All heaven rejoices. Heaven knows how to throw a party. We got to learn some things, right? <laughs> and so it's amazing. It's amazing what God is doing in the here and now. And so as we, Grant called me up the other day. It was Thursday. And he says, Mark, I'm really sensing that the Lord is leading us in this direction because we were in Mark 4. He says, you know, I really sense that we're supposed to go much in line with what the prophetic words were that were being released over us at the Worship City Alliance this past Wednesday when he and I were being interviewed. And they made a, somebody had uh, made a statement. It was after Grant mentioned that we are pastoring in the moment, that that's what we do, pastor in the moment, you know, from thing. And then somebody said, you guys will move from glory to glory. Yeah. And that's how we're supposed to move. We don't need a 10-year plan. We just need to be obedient to where God is leading us right now. That's a key for every one of us. You want to know what the next step is in your life? Just be obedient to the very next thing God tells you. Don't be focused on a 10-year plan. Just be obedient to the very next step. And so as Grant was talking, and he said, you know, Mark, I'm really sensing that we're supposed to go into Joshua. I said, bro, this is so wild. He says, I'm sensing that we're supposed to be focused on grabbing hold of the promises. I go, man, let me share something with you. I am sitting here at my dining room table, and I've got my Bible opened up. I was at Mark 4, and I had... Uh, somebody had just given me a gift of the Passion Translation version of Joshua, which was opened up right next to it. And I was in Mark 4, and I had just read, talking about the, the parable of the soils, and I had just read this part. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, who hear the word. And I said, man, I was just at my Bible study this morning, and it was in Genesis 17, where God is uh, talking with Abraham. And Abraham says, yes, bless Ishmael. Ishmael. And he says, yes, Ishmael, I'm going to bless. But, but the promise and the covenant is actually coming through Isaac, who will be born next year at this time. And I began sharing, even at the Bible study, I said, you know, it's, isn't it wild when we don't see the promises coming through that God has promised us, we start making things happen in the natural realm. We start moving and trying to build up our cart again, right? We try to build this cart that 
that can carry the ark into the next season. We want to grab hold of it and make things happen on our own. You see, but God did bless Ishmael and his future generations. He did. He blessed them abundantly. And God blessed Isaac. But there is always conflict between Ishmael and Isaac from that point. And as, so I was thinking about that, the promises. And the Lord began to connect the dots. Earlier that morning, on the way to the Bible study, as soon as I jumped in the car, my radio just started blasting because I've got it on Bluetooth. And then I turned it off, and I just thought, I'm just going to spend time talking to the Lord all the way there. And I said, God, I want you to begin to connect the dots for me today. And just start showing me at all the little details where you are at work so I can join you there. And then I got to the Bible study, started talking about Genesis 17 and, and talking about engaging and grabbing hold of those promises. And then somebody said, if we thrust ourselves into this place of desperation, it's easier to follow the Lord. You know, if you're in like a third world country or something like that, experiencing persecution or facing imprisonment or death. And I said, well, I don't even think that you necessarily need to travel. I think that if we position and posture our hearts to have childlike faith and ask the Lord to begin to reveal to us, even in the subtlest ways where he's at work, then he begins to connect the dots. So the question is, where's your heart positioned? How long have you been walking with the Lord? Those of us who have some experience with this, who have been walking with the Lord a long time, you and I have a responsibility to share that with generations under us, as well as generations over us. God is doing something generationally. And we absolutely see this happen in Joshua chapter uh, 1. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me. To, uh, I want to go down to verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. They were on the east side of the Jordan before they stepped over even into the promised land. Those three tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they were going to be occupying land on the east side of the river. Before they ever even stepped into the promised land, they made an assumption uh, that 
because they were shepherds and they had room for their flock, that this was the best possible land for them. And if their children, their wives, and livestock could all occupy that place, the charge was that they would go into uh, across the Jordan into the promised land and make sure that all the other tribes were at a place where they took possession and when they were at rest, they could go back home. I believe that there's a prophetic picture there because here they were, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and Manasseh. And all their men of valor were responsible for helping get everybody else positioned properly. Reuben was the oldest. I want to charge every one of us, especially those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. You've got great sensitivity to the Spirit. You have the ability to discern the times in which we are living. As a matter of fact, you're a, you're a mighty warrior who has been sitting on the sidelines for many, many years, thinking that either your time is up, your time has not yet arrived, or that you are just not fit to be part of this time and season. And all of those cases would absolutely be a lie. You are called to help every other tribe get into position. You carry that relationship with the Lord, the sensitivity to the Spirit, and the experience of consistently walking with the Lord in being part of the battles that He has led you through. The time to sit out is a farce. This ain't the time to sit out. This is the time for every single one of us to join in the fight. Why? Because the promised land is good for the taking. This is the time. This is the time. God has assembled people as Unite Church for such a time as this. It doesn't look like things that we've experienced before. I don't believe that any one of us has the opportunity to sit back and say, you know what? Now's my time to sit out. I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. I remember, I remember years ago, I saw this study that was done. I think it was one of those, one of those Barna studies or whatnot. And they polled all of these people, Christians, and, and they mapped out this graph. It was on a graph of People, when they first give their lives to Jesus Christ and how often they share the gospel with people and how often they are around people that need the gospel the most and they mapped out to the very end of their lives. You see, you would believe that the longer that somebody has been in relationship with Jesus and walking out their faith, that by the end of their life, man, they are charging hell just to make sure that more people get saved. But their findings were this. The longer that people in the American church, the longer that people have been walking with God in the church, by the end of their lives, they are almost completely separated from the people that need the gospel the most.
Therein lies a problem. I believe that the Lord is charging us, even as Unite Church, that now's the time for our hearts to expand for the things that grip his heart and the things that he wants to see established, that we are ones who help lead other people into the promised land and fight off their giants with them, that we are contending beside them, that we're not just telling them, hey, welcome to the kingdom, go find your way, but we would be those ones who walk along beside our brothers and sisters and say, hey, we're going to help you occupy land to take the possession of that promise that you've got. You're not fighting alone. We're going to contend beside you. We're going to become an intercessor house. We're going to raise up prayer intercessors in this house to equip people to go and contend beside people and raise them up so that they can occupy what God has destined for them. And that's what we get to be part of. And here's the other part. On Wednesday, many of you know who Karen Johnson is. Prophetic pastor out of the Goodlettsville, Madison area uh, at Olive Tree Ministry. She came and released a word over Grant and I. And she spoke this over the house, that this is going to be part of the destiny of Unite Church. And so even as I read this, I just want to challenge all of us, just, just posture. I mean, you don't have to do it, but if you want to, just open your hands like you're receiving a gift. Because even as I read this, this is an impartation to every one of us in the house. And she was referencing uh, from living word pictures, Hebraic word pictures for the word unity. And I'm going to read this. The Hebrew word for to unite is eked. In modern Hebrew, it is written, um, the ancient shape and meaning of the letters show us how unity can be achieved. The ancient Hebrew word picture says that unity comes when we, and what the word picture says is strongly fence the door. Strongly fence the door is walking in unity. How do you gain unity? There's a question that families, churches, businesses, and spouses need to have answered. The Hebrew word picture tells us that unity comes when you strongly fence the door. What does this mean? Imagine that you were in a movie theater and you saw a fire starting down in front. What are you going to do? If you are like me, you're going to get out and fast. But suppose that the door to the theater are locked and there is no way to leave. What will you do now? You will put out the fire. When faced between the fire and the door, we all tend to take the door. But when the door has been locked, we deal with the fire. Unity is found in this simple analogy. Every relationship is tested in the times of trouble. If I have left the door open, I will not confront the fire. And when the fire gets bad enough, I have an excuse to leave. But this is not the biblical example 
of a covenant relationship. And God values covenant. If we leave a door open, we're going to leave in the open door or out the open door. But if there's a fire in a relationship, in a relational connection, in the house, in our families, if the door is strongly fenced, if we strongly fence the door, we come together as one in unity, we lock that door, then we're faced to have to deal and put out the fire. That is the mandate on the house. That is being that tribe of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. That we go and help people take their land before we go back and occupy ours. We strongly fence the door and we say, look, we are in this with you. You are not alone. We're going to walk and move in unity. This is a house of unity where we strongly fence the door. That's what the world needs. They need to see a kingdom people who are willing to go and walk in unity and covenant and not just leave when the going gets tough. Not just duck out the door with our tails between our legs and, well, I was offended. They didn't change the carpet to that color. I'm out of here. It's ridiculous. We are supposed to be the example of what covenant relationship is. What relationship is as followers of Jesus. And we've all been given that mandate to walk in this. This is a house of healing. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. We thank you, God, that this is a house where marriages are restored. Even on the backside of divorce, Lord, you will bring testimony of those, Lord, that you are still going to reconcile. Lord, thank you for the freedom that you are going to bring in this house. Freedom from addictions, strongholds. Lord, thank you for the freedom that is being released in this house even now. The healing that is taking place. The healing in marriages. I don't know. I just really sense that there's something even on the marriage front. Even this morning, I believe that there are those. And if, and if your marriage is in that place, even if it's not, can we all commit, those of us who are married, can we all commit that we will strongly fence the door with our spouse. We're not going to create an open door to be able to duck out when the going gets tough. We're going to be faithful to put out any fire that comes our way. This is a house of generations. Doesn't matter what generation you're part of could be the older generation, the boomer generation, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, doesn't matter. We're all called to walk together. We all need each other. We all need each other. I need the younger generation. We need you. I need the older generation. 
We need to do this together. This is what he's called us to. Your time isn't over. Your time matters. 